0: I noticed there's no one sitting in the front two rows this morning, uh, which might be a good thing because I just said to Marcus that I got about five minutes down the road to church this morning and realized I hadn't put any deodorant on. So uh, the splash zone is clear, which is uh, which is a good thing. We're going to be starting a new preaching series this morning, a three-part series um, that we're titling Knowing Jesus as Saviour. And the inspiration for this series came from a conversation that we had in our in our life group actually a few weeks ago. Um, if you don't know what a life group is, we uh, we have a, a selection of small groups here at the church that meet through the week in homes and uh, some meet here in the building actually. And they're smaller environments where it's uh, easier to make friends and socialize and uh, and also, Go deeper into the into the Bible, into the Word of God. So, if you're not currently part of a life group, I'd really encourage you to uh, to explore it. Peter Christian is not here, I don't think, this morning, but he heads up our life group ministry. But if you're not in a group and you're interested in getting involved in one, come talk to me afterwards, and I'll make sure I connect you with Peter. But we were we were having a conversation in our in our life group uh, a few weeks ago about apparently a phrase that I say a lot from the platform here and apparently a lot of our other leaders say a lot as well which is when we refer to Jesus as Lord and Savior or as Savior and Lord there was a big debate about which way around it should be in our life group but apparently that's a phrase that we say quite a lot without even realizing it and the reason that we do that is that Jesus is referred to as both things in the Bible Um, and both things tell us important things about who Jesus is about his character um, and, and what came out of this conversation in our life group was that most people naturally thought of Jesus in the everyday as Lord, as the, the ultimate authority in their lives, their holy king. Um, and that's great because Jesus absolutely is those things. But not as many people consciously thought of Jesus in their everyday lives as saviour, which I thought was really interesting. Um, And so that actually stemmed a conversation as an SLT where we thought we'd spend a few weeks diving into the real significance of the fact that Jesus is not just Lord, but is also Saviour. Christmas probably feels like a long time ago for you. I know it does for me already. But there's a verse that gets read at every Christmas time in Luke 2, which says, Today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Saviour. So even at the very outset of Jesus' life, when he's born, and we're reading about that in the Bible, the, the, the phrase saviour is used to describe who he is. It's a fundamental aspect of who Jesus is just as much as his lordship is. And so it's important that we understand like, the character of Jesus through these two names, but also both names actually reinforce the theology on which our faith stands so it's really important that we we understand as Christians the context of Jesus as Savior and this morning that the main phrase that I want to focus on is saved by grace next week Dave's gonna tackle the the topic of what that grace has saved us from and then in the final week Carol's going to explore the context of what that grace has saved us for but today it's really all about getting an understanding of what it actually means that we are saved by grace through Jesus and as we'll learn, the, um, the definition of grace is actually not a really easy thing to pin down. So today's going to be a little bit more teachy than preachy, but I hope that will be okay with you all. And if not, then tough because you're here already. So we're just going to get on with it. If we can have the, the first slide, Nathan. So if you've been around church for a while, you might have heard this phrase, saved by grace. You probably will have done. And one of the places we get it from is in Ephesians chapter 2 where we read, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And in our contemporary language, the word grace is used in a number of different ways. It can be used to describe like beauty or effortlessness. So we might describe the way someone dances as graceful or the way they run or the way they move as graceful. It can be used to describe someone who acts with dignity. That person showed good grace in that situation. It can also be used in the context of things like that person had the good grace to apologize. They did the right thing in that moment. And all of those kind of hint towards something of what the biblical meaning for the word grace is, but none of them do it justice in in isolation. And the first place in, in the Bible where we find the word grace is in Genesis 6, verse 8 uh, and it's in the context of Noah where we read that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord when he and his family were spared from the flood that God brought. and some translations actually use the word favour there in place of grace so we know there's a connection between those two words and the Hebrew word that's used there is the word hen which derives from the word hanan which means to have mercy to, sh- to show compassion And then that same word is used later in Proverbs to mean something a little bit different, to mean precious, something of great value. And so if we can have the next slide. So from the last 30 seconds of what I've said alone, we can see why it's not an easy term to pin down in terms of a true definition, because all of those words, correct, compassion, gift, mercy, precious, dignity, favor, and beautiful, all have connotation. To what the word grace means so we're going to look at a passage in the Bible to help us pull this into something a little bit more digestible and we're going to we're going to read together from a passage in 1 Samuel 1 verses 9 to 20 and in this passage we find a woman named Hannah who I've chosen very intentionally to speak about for a minute this morning um, and that is because her name is derived from that same Hebrew word Hanan that's used for grace in in Genesis and in other places in the Bible. And so we can be fairly sure that by understanding something of Hannah's story, we're going to understand a little bit more of what that term really means. And the backdrop here, before we get to the text, is that, um, that Hannah is one of two wives of a man called Elkanah. It was pretty common at this time for a man to have more than one wife, although the Bible never really shines a positive light on polygamy. It always, you know, generally is followed by uh, confusion, by tension, by complication, which is maybe not that surprising. And such is the case here. So, Hannah and Elcana's other wife, Penina, are referred to as rivals in the text. And it's clear to us that Hannah is the favorite wife, because we're told that Elcana loves Hannah, and there's no mention of love for Penina, so that probably tells us a little bit about their characters. Um, And it's highlighted by the fact that each year we're told they go uh, to worship at the tabernacle in Shiloh and each year Elkanah gives Hannah twice the offering that he gives Penina. So she is the favorite wife, she is loved and we might therefore assume she's in a good place but actually she's a woman in distress because she has been unable to bear children for her husband whereas Penina, the other wife, has been able to bear children. And we're told that the latter torments the former because of this. And uh, torments her to to a place where she ends up regularly breaking down in tears, refusing to eat. She is a distressed woman. Because at this time, if a woman was infertile, then that was a curse that hung over her in society. It was perceived to be a punishment from God. Um, From a status perspective, it it put you in a different place in society to those who could bear children. So that's the context of where we pick up in in verse 9. So it says once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all of his days. And no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but a voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the Lord of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her so in the course of time Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son she named him Samuel saying because I asked the Lord for him so if we try and just summarize some of the things that happened to Hannah in this passage that that might give us a bit of an indication of what that word grace really means we could probably pull out the following she receives the most precious gift So to her, Samuel was a gift of the most immeasurable preciousness. Secondly, the the curse over Hannah's life was lifted. And not because she could do anything about it herself, even though we get the impression she was a good person. Even though she was, she couldn't do anything about it herself, but the curse was lifted because it was freely given by God who looked favorably on her. There was also restoration. So as a result of what happened, Hannah's place in society, her status in society, was restored. And then fourthly, that the shame that was associated with all of that, the shame that hung over her, was eradicated. So we see that grace also brings vindication, which means the removal of blame. And so if we take all of that on board, then if we have the next slide, Nath, then the biblical definition for grace could look something a bit like this. A precious gift that cannot be earned freely given by god to lift the curse on our life and to bring vindication and healing so i hope that makes a degree of sense so far in terms of how we land in that place but but the truth is that it it can't make total sense and it won't make total sense until we contextualize it with jesus and so if we go to the next slide we're going to quickly read from romans 5 verse 10 where paul writes for if while we were god's enemies We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? It's a strange phrase, isn't it, to be referred to as an enemy of God? I don't know about you, but that's quite unsettling in my heart, to be referred to as an an enemy of God. But, But what the Bible teaches us is that before Jesus, mankind had a big problem. And our problem was that we had a sinful nature, and that's the churchy word for the fact that we do things wrong, we mess things up, we are imperfect. And that sinful nature was in direct contrast with a God who was completely upstanding and right and pure, and still is. And however you wrap it up, if you're in direct opposition with something, then you're an enemy of that thing, is the reality. And so we were in this place before Jesus where there was a, there was a calculation that didn't add up there was a holy God and an unholy people. And what we read is that there was, there was need for reconciliation. So something had to happen to bridge the gap, to bridge the chasm between where we were and where God was. And as hard as it might be to get our heads around, what the Bible teaches is that Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross and took on all of the sinful nature of mankind, not just in that moment, but eternally, and died with it so that that price could be paid and that chasm could be filled. And not because we earned it, and not because we could do anything to earn it, but even while we were still sinners, even before any of us had come to a place where we'd accepted Jesus, or said sorry for any of the things we'd done wrong, or anything like that, even in that place when we were sinners, we were still deemed worthy of that act by Jesus on the cross. So with that in mind, if we look back at that definition of grace, In Hannah and we start to look at the uh, the things that we pulled out from her story and then contextualize them with Jesus we start to get an even clearer picture again. So she received that gift of immeasurable value in Samuel. We receive a gift of immeasurable value in Jesus. The curse over Hannah's life was lifted and not because she could earn it but because God looked favorably on her. The curse of sin in our life has been lifted Not because we could ever earn it, but because God has looked favourably on us. Even when we were enemies, we've now been transitioned to friends of God. There was restoration. So Hannah's place in society was restored. Our relationship with God is restored from enemy to friend. And that shame that was hanging over Hannah's life was removed. And the shame that hangs over our life because of sin, because of the things we do wrong, has been eradicated by Jesus and so that definition that we pulled together earlier on if we tweak it slightly now in the context of that if we have the next slide there's only a tiny difference but it's a big one and this is the real definition of grace is that Jesus he is the precious gift that could not be earned that was freely given by God to lift the curse on our life and to bring vindication and healing and that is what makes him our savior that is what grace looks like And if we come back to that verse in Romans for a second, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? We get reference to Jesus' death and his life here. And it's really important that we understand the context of this as well, because he didn't just die on the cross, but he rose again on the third day. And when it comes to understanding Jesus as savior, what what we learn from that verse is that you can't separate savior from Lord. They're entwined together. They're both core parts of who he is. Because whilst we were saved by grace because of Jesus' death on the cross, our salvation couldn't have been completed unless he also rose again on the third day. Unless he rose again triumphant on the third day, having conquered even death. Because that demonstrates his lordship. That demonstrates his sovereignty. That demonstrates the fact that he is undefeatable and unconquerable even to death. And so what that shows us is that salvation is a combination of Jesus being Lord and being Saviour. It's not a case of he's Lord or Saviour. It's not a case of on the cross he was Saviour, but now he's Lord. He always was, he still is, and he always will be both Saviour and Lord. And so that's like the teachy bit done, okay? (laughs) And thanks for sticking with me through that. But I think it's important that we understand biblically where this comes from and why, why it matters. And so... Just for the last few minutes, what I want to pull out now is why that should be important to us. What's the impact in our lives if we actually get this and we understand Jesus as both of those really important things? And I just want to pull out three really quick things. And the first is that when we acknowledge Jesus as Savior, we acknowledge our need to be saved. So when we come to a place of humility where we recognize that Jesus was our Savior, we recognize that we were in need of salvation, that we need someone to fill that gap that whilst we need a Lord in our life, we need an ultimate authority, we need a pure example to follow, and we get all of that in Jesus, we also needed him, and we need him as the humble servant who went to the cross, who died, who paid the price, and who now enables us to stand in friendship and relationship with God. The second thing is that it breaks through the world's negative view of who God is, and I think this is a really important one because often in in secular society there is this image portrayed of god and sometimes even in people that don't necessarily have a faith or even see god as a thing or a person they want to engage with even in secular society like that god is still presented as lord in many cases but often a spiteful lord a lord who is enjoying being in control over our lives enjoying dictating the things that happen enjoying watching us suffer sometimes when things aren't going right and if we only ever think of Jesus as Lord there is a danger we can fall into that place of thinking of God like that when our life isn't going the way we want it to but if this penny really drops and we understand that Jesus is not just Lord but he is also Savior it's really difficult to think of God in that negative way that the world often does because we recognize the price that was paid. We recognize how far he would go for us because he loves us. And then the third thing is that when this penny really drops and we recognize we have been saved by the savior, saved by grace, then we come to a place where we stop trying to earn the love of Jesus. We just recognize we already have it. We recognize the price is paid. And if that penny hasn't dropped and again we only see Jesus as Lord then when we can get into this cycle where we do things wrong and we feel like we've got to start again every time. i would come to a good place with you Jesus but then I messed up and I did that stupid thing and now I've got to just earn your love all over again. Sometimes we can end up in that cycle but if we recognize he is savior, if we recognize the price he's paid, if we recognize the cost that has been covered for us then it breaks that. And in those moments when we fail we don't focus on our imperfection but we focus on the fact that his perfection was enough to restore us to a place of friendship with God. To a place where that relationship is restored, it is complete and it cannot be broken. I wonder if the band would, would come back up. And as we, as we come to a close I just want to create a bit of space for us to reflect on that truth and You know, whether you are a brand new Christian or whether you've been a Christian for decades, or even if you're in a place where you haven't yet made that decision to follow Jesus, then it's still really helpful for us to just create a bit of space this morning to reflect on what that means that he's not just Lord, but he's also Savior. You know, you might be here, you might be listening online this morning, and the reason that you haven't yet made a commitment to follow Jesus might be linked to that world's view of who God is. This spiteful Lord who enjoys controlling everything, who doesn't give us answers, just gives us stuff to deal with. And maybe as you've been listening this morning, you're just realizing that might not be the full truth. There might be more to who he is. Maybe you know that you're that Christian who's in that constant cycle of feeling like you've got to re-earn the love of God constantly feeling like you're not good enough, constantly feeling like you're unworthy to come before him. And maybe what's resonating this morning is that that price has been paid. You don't have to keep doing it. It's it's as exhausting as it is unnecessary biblically to keep going through that cycle. The price has been paid for you. You are enough because of Jesus, not because of what you've done or what you could ever do. And you can rest in that this morning. Or maybe you're just in a place in your life where you're so painfully aware of how much you need a saviour right now. Maybe life's just getting too much. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you don't know where to turn. You don't have the answers and you're just so painfully aware right now you need a saviour. There's one here this morning who is available and wants relationship with you. And so as the band sing, there's just a bit of space here where you can reflect on that If that's what you want to do, if you want to spend a bit of time in quiet, in conversation with God, just reflecting on the truth of who he is, you can do that. You might benefit from some prayer this morning if you're in one of those places. You might just be in a situation where it'd be good for someone to come alongside you and just speak some wisdom. And we have a prayer team that will be available down the front here. It's always really beneficial to talk to someone who is wise, who's been a Christian for a long time, who hears from God and can speak wisdom into your life. And maybe that's what you need. But wherever you are and however you wanna respond, I just wanna remind you one more time of that definition of grace. A precious gift that cannot be earned, freely given by God to lift the curse on our life and to bring vindication and healing. And that is available for you today through Jesus our all-powerful Lord but also our all-powerful Savior who is both things so we're just going to create some space respond how you feel is appropriate but at the very very least leave church this morning knowing that you are loved knowing that you are saved knowing that you are vindicated and knowing that you are healed, because Jesus is not just Lord, but he is Lord and he is Saviour. Amen.